I love that video bumper. It just reminds us of all the joy of Christmas and the hope that we have as we kind of continue on and finish off the, the holiday season. Also want to take a moment as we end our series this weekend of that thrill of hope to uh, let everyone know over there in the video venue that we're really glad that they're here. Let's take a moment to welcome them into the room. So glad you guys are here. Well, I know for all of us at the end of the year, there's always that fear we're going to kind of go through everything that's happened in the current events and think through all the, the ups and downs and all that type of stuff. And I, I really don't have any big desire to do. How many would like to just kind of, let's let some of that just go and move on? Anybody feel like that? Yeah, I, I do at times. But I did think it would be neat to do a little bit of a, a trivial look to see things that have happened in the last decade. So as we kind of get ready for this final thrill of hope and talk about the promise that God gives to us, we've gone through the presence and the power and the peace, all those things that, and the patience that he has for us. It gives us a chance to look, see what we can hold on. But the last decade that we have seen, all, all the way from uh, 2010 to 2019, some things that have come about have been Netflix and streaming, selfies and emojis. How many have a friend that does so many emojis they're just out of control, out of control, okay? My sister's like that, all right? Every feeling known to mankind. Ubers and, and hipsters, superheroes and Disney remakes, touch screens and vapes, flossing and twerking, we don't wanna have a picture on any of that, and royal babies and baby shark, do, 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 oh, I love that song. At least the first hundred times, I love that song. After that, it kind of got, got a little bit old. But we're here to have a moment together where we say, God, thank you for this year. Thank you for this decade. Thank you for this weekend that we have to be able to be with our family and, and be as a spiritual family, encouraging one another, and hold on to those promises. Because in all of our lives, at the end of every year, there'll be a similar pattern. We'll look and we'll see the victories that God has given to us. We'll see the losses that we have gone through. And we'll take a moment and look at the recoveries that he's putting us in right now. Victories and losses and recoveries. And the way we allow him to do that in our heart and our life makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes we feel so uncertain about the future, and I understand that. And for us to be able to say, here's what we predict will happen in, in 2020, there's no way we could really do that. We may have an opinion. We may have something we could kind of guess about that might happen. But the one thing we can be certain about is found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And Paul gave this type of encouragement to those people, and he gives it to us today. And I want to ask you to read it aloud as it appears on the screen. Philippians 1, verse 6. Let's say it together. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his good work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. In the midst of uncertainty, we know this. God began a good work in you if you have a faith in him. If you have chosen to believe him and trust him, no matter what you've gone through in your life, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that work and I'm going to finish it and I'm going to do that in you. And some of us this year have found out we've had difficult times, very difficult times that we've had to, to let God work in us before he can work through us. And for some of us, it's just very new and very fresh. For some of us, we've had an opportunity to see what really can be done by his grace. 
I always wished, and I've told uh, Nathan that over the years, one of these times, I've, I've said last, at least the last five, six years, uh, I want to do a series called This Side of Heaven. Just the things this side of heaven we got to deal with, that we get to deal with, the blessings and some of the challenges. Never really got around to that, but there's something about that phrase. Say it with me, if you would, this side of heaven. Because we know it's going to be far greater and, and beyond our imagination to be in the presence of God for eternity. But this side of heaven, what do we have to deal with? And we'll have hard things to deal with. I remember last, last weekend, uh, oh, what an incredible Christmas service. Wasn't that amazing? It, it was just, oh, it was, yep. Yay, God. And trust me, at my age, I've seen a million of them and been a part of a million of them. But absolutely one of the most uh, touching, touching ones I've ever been a part of to, to see what God has done in so many hearts and lives. Nathan said it's been a hard year for many. And I, I know it has. This week has been a hard week for the Northside family. We had a funeral on Friday and a funeral yesterday on Saturday with a couple of men in the life of the church that would have been here this weekend greeting. But now they're being greeted in heaven. Steve Burke passed away very, very suddenly. He and his wife, Carol, have, have greeted just goodness for years, helped in so many different ways. Alan and Brenda Miles, Alan passed away and his funeral was yesterday. And they, they've uh, talked with so many people around here uh, in the corners, uh, taking your next step. And, and what a tremendous blessing. And, and yet that is our life. We, we don't know what's going to happen. But we can be certain of this. Three things I want to suggest today. Number one, the promises that we can hold on to, the checks that we can cash in God's economy. Number one is the promise of his presence with us. He's going to be with you. God always works upstream. If you know uh, how uh, Joshua and the children of Israel went across the Jordan River, uh, the Jordan River parted, and God explained a little bit later how he was always working upstream to make that happen at that point, at that time, when the priests had the Ark of the Covenant and they get their feet wet. God did not part the, the Jordan River for them that time until the priests got their feet wet. I think that was where that phrase actually came from, at least in my, my mind. God doesn't do anything until you get your feet wet, until you got some skin in the game and dive right in. But when you and I do, then he moves. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, uh, Moses says, don't be afraid. He's representing God here saying, don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you in any way. He's going to take care of us. And as we go through this next year, as we prepare to kind of Tie this one off and say, all right, here's what God's done. Here's where we are. Let's anticipate. Let's commit ourselves to what he's going to do in us as we go into the promised land of 2020. Don't doubt his presence. You know, there are a lot of prayers all throughout the Bible. I love the Psalms, uh, David's prayer. Now, you may say, wait a second, all those things are prayers, uh, and they are. And I remember as a kid reading them, anybody ever feel like, gosh, all these Psalms, they just sound so psalmish? You know, uh, uh, thy loving kindness and uh, this and that and, oh, Lord. And, and they are. They're prayers. They're songs that he expressed his heart to God. But what happens in Psalm 27, you hear the prayer of David. Listen to this. He says, the one thing I ask of the Lord. 
The thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Now, that sounds very monkish to me, all right? That sounds like David saying, can I just kind of put on a robe and hum and, and, and pray and sing a little bit and just think how good God is? But he's not saying that. He's saying, I want the presence of God. And he says, this is the one thing. Remember in City Slickers, Billy Crystal, Jack Palance, Curly, and Billy's trying to just kind of figure out his life and relax a little bit. He's all tensed up, and, uh, and he just says, you got to find the one thing in life. And he says, what's the one thing? He said, you got to find it. Everyone has to determine your priority. And David says, in the midst of, of being the king of Israel, in the midst of all the things God had called him to do, he says, here's where I want to be. I want to be right here in your presence. Now, if you would compare David's prayer with his son Solomon's prayer, Solomon had a great prayer. I think David edged him out a little bit, though, because Solomon's prayer was for wisdom. Oh, God, give me wisdom. Who can govern your people? If they don't have your wisdom, oh, Lord, please give me all you got. And it's a good thing because James in the New Testament says, if any of us lack wisdom, ask of God. He'll give generously to us. You know, he, he's not stingy with that. He'll, he'll bless us. He'll guide us. He'll give us that wisdom. But David's prayer was one thing, one thing, to live in the house of the Lord, to be in your presence to delight in your perfection, to see you, God, as you are holy and pure, because I know how unholy and impure I am, but to see your purity and not be held away from that and to meditate in your temple. In other words, to not have any kind of distraction. Now, I know all of us are tempted to have a New Year's resolution. I gave that up a long time ago, all right? At a glance, you could guess that, all right? Because most of my New Year's resolutions are broke by halftime at the Rose Bowl game anyway. So I just thought, what, what good is this going to do? I think it would be even better, wouldn't it be, to be able to say, now, I don't want a, a New Year's resolution. How about a New Year's prayer? And say, God, this prayer is just going to kind of dominate who I am. For Solomon, give me wisdom, God. And if you know Solomon's history, he faded away from God in his spiritual passion. He had wisdom, but he didn't always use it because he had a lot of wants over here. And he wanted that, and he wanted that. And God, while you're up, give me this. And David says, you are enough. God, you're enough. I'm sure I'll need a little of that, a little of that. But God, you are are enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, he will always be enough for us. Turn back in your best uh, Ernest T. Bass voice, say, he got that right, you know? <laughs> that, that is something you can count on, you can depend on. In the midst of uncertainty, you know he's going to be there for you and with you. Through the years, uh, as and I love Bible stories. You guys know that. I love to hear them. I love to think. I love to tell them and, uh, and look at them a little bit differently and, and maybe sometimes speculate. But I love many times in the Bible you'll see a contrast. Because I always I, I look at relationships and I think, okay, what, what happened over there? What's missing there? Or maybe in this season of my life, where was I blind or stubborn or whatever it was? And if you would look at the disappointing comparison of Jacob and Samson. Jacob, if you know his story, uh, he, he, uh, 
I mean, he's, his dad Isaac, okay, followed God. Grandpa Abraham really followed God. But Jacob, it took a little while for him to get close to God. He had to have a dream, and he had a moment where he uses a stone as a pillow, and he falls asleep, and I'm sure he woke up with a crick in his neck and just, ah, ah, ah. But he did wake up in a, in a different way because what the Bible says is during the night when he was having trouble sleeping, he had a dream, and it was what we refer to as Jacob's ladder, where he said, I saw angels descending down from heaven and going right back up, coming down and going right back up. And he had this dream, and here's what he said about his dream. He said, when he awoke, he said, and the song's been made about this, surely the presence of the Lord was in this place, and I didn't realize it. In other words, God kind of snuck up on him. If you have ever seen or felt the presence of God when you thought he was far away and all of a sudden you began to realize, oh no, he's right here, right here. It just, just can't see it at the time. That's what he felt. Now, that's a wonderful commentary on waking up in the morning. Surely this is the day the Lord has made. Surely God's right here. And I wasn't aware how much he was here. Now, if, if you would fast forward a little bit, get over to the book of Judges and get into uh, uh, the, the life of a man named Samson. Uh, Samson had a lot of trouble. Had a lot of trouble kind of winking at the next lady and, and, and falling in love with somebody who was not from God's people. And that brought in all sorts of idol worship and all sorts of other things. And if you remember, some may just remember Samson, long hair, big guy, strong, bad haircut. You might remember some of that, okay? And Delilah was the gal, please understand, in her defense, she was told, if you don't get the secret from him of his strength, we will kill your family. Okay, she's pretty motivated. He never should have got in that situation or that relationship, but that's what happened. It's what happens sometimes when we wander off. And he tells her, in a weak moment, he says, I know I've said just kind of tie me up with the new ropes and this and that, and, uh, and then he got a little closer, well, if you put seven braids in my hair, and I'll just, I won't be strong at all. But then at one point, she was desperate to save her family, and he in his weakness told her the secret. Can't have anything from a grapevine, no wine, fermented or not fermented. Can't touch a dead body, you know. And I got to let my hair grow because that's the vow unto God that my parents took, and I did too. So now you know. Next thing you know, he's asleep. Next thing you know, his hair is cut. The next thing you know, she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And the Bible literally says in the book of Judges, and he thought he would go out and kill the Philistines as he always did. And here's the sad one. Samson did not realize that the Lord had departed from him. He assumed the presence of God. Anytime I have made a big mistake in my life, it's been, I kind of thought God's not going to care that much. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. So when we go into this year together, God says, I want you to know I will be with you no matter what. But please understand, 
Let's hold on to his presence. Let him go before us even into this next year. Let him carve that path out so that we can follow him and stay close to him and not drag back from a distance like in my life sometimes I have. But he doesn't want us to. Now the second promise is this. And that's the promise of his providence over us. All right? Just to clarify, Providence is not just a city in Rhode Island and not just a private school in Clarksville. All right? Providence is, is the divine guidance and care. It's, it's God giving his guidance and being able to, to move and work together and build this tapestry within our life. After the Exodus, God told Moses, listen, I've delivered you from, from the Egyptians. You need to know that I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. As some of us here right now have seen the mighty hand of God. And the last year or two has been kind of hard and we have seen him lift us up from a place we never felt we could come up from. Or we've seen him resolve something in our life. Or we've seen him help us forgive when we never thought we could forgive. Or help our, our hearts to begin to mend over something that we never thought we could get over. And we have seen him guide us. But in all honesty, we, we know that he can see us through the good, bad, and the ugly. But it just seems sometimes we get the bad and the ugly. What's that old saying, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. And sometimes it feels like we're on that, that treadmill of misfortune, if you will. That's why Paul told the Romans in chapter 8, pretty famous verse. I want to ask you to read it aloud with me as it appears on the screen. Because over and over, all throughout our life, we have to let this sink in and stay in with us. Let's say it together. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I believe with all my heart he knows what he's doing. Even when I don't think he does, I know in my heart he does. I know he has my best interest in mind. I know he alone knows the final outcome. And I know he's going to be with me through everything. He redeems, he recycles, he renews, he repurposes, he restores, especially if it's offered back to him and released. And this might be a year that we need to cash this check and claim that promise and say, God, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my disappointment, in the midst of my confusion, my uncertainty, I trust that you're working all things together for your good, the good of the kingdom, and even my good, even if it doesn't seem good right now. Now, the last promise is the promise of him perfecting us. His perfecting of us, his maturing of us, and to perfect doesn't mean exactly perfect in our own connotation. It means free of faults as much as possible. And you have to go to the next verse from Romans 8.28 into Romans 8.29. Listen to what Paul says there. After he said God's going to work everything together for good, he's going to bring something out of this that will honor him and bless you. 
He says, God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, we are to become like his son. We're to be conformed to the image of, of, of Jesus. And, and if you've ever had a lesson that you had to learn over and over and over, many times I've just thought, how long is it going to take for me to get this? Lord, sorry, I'm right here at that same intersection having to realize, no, it's not just as Jesus said, you don't forgive once. You, you know, it's a lot more than that. <laughs> Seven times 70. In other words, more of an infinite number that we have to have this forgiving heart. And maybe this year God has or maybe this next year he will be working in your heart to conform you, to sand off some of those edges of disappointment or harshness or doubt or fear or resentment or whatever it might be. He's working in you and me to change us so we are less like who we are in our sinful nature and more like him all the time. See, God didn't just save us through his son Jesus just to get us to heaven. His whole purpose, his whole goal is to make us become like him. It's a big word. It's what they call sanctification, justification and sanctification. Justification is a legal problem that we have. Sanctification is a moral problem that we have. In other words, we're in trouble with the law of God. We broke the law of God. That's why Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for us. He was the perfect sacrifice. That takes care of our legal problem if we trust him. But will that make us a better person? No. It takes care of the problem. It pays the bill. What changes us is the spirit of God in our heart. Any judge in the land could pronounce someone, acquit, uh, acquit them on a trial, not enough evidence, even though it appears they would be guilty, and he can dismiss that case. But there is no judge that can impart something into the heart of a guilty person to help them change. It's a legal thing. This is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual work that God is doing in your life and wants to do even more all the time. It's the spiritual work of, of him being able to help us become more loving, more patient, more kind, more forgiving, all those things just to become like Jesus. So Paul says in Colossians 1.28, we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all the wisdom that God has given us. Now, why? Why do we do that? Why is Paul so passionate about that? He says we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. He wants you and I this year to take that next step in growth and deepening and healing and whatever that might look like in your life or mine. Three promises this weekend. His presence, his providence, and his perfecting of us. And yet there's three questions I just have to ask you. Question number one, how has he gone before you and remained with you? How has he done that in this year or in this decade? Or if it all seems just too close, how did he do that long ago for you? In my family, uh, my sister's three years older than me. Uh, ben, our college pastor, his mom is my sister, all right? 
I've mentioned that before. We didn't tell anybody that to begin, just not to put a target on Ben's back, all right? And, and, uh, and uh, my sister, his mom, Kathy, incredible, incredible sister. But being three years older, she, uh, she felt God call her off to Bible college while I'm still back home in high school, you know? And uh, she just felt God was wanting her to learn more so she could be the best teacher she could be or whatever God called her to do or be. And as a result of that, okay, she gets up there. She's a cheerleader. I get to go up to a few ball games, and I get to meet some of these guys who have great character. I saw a guy named Galen Winters, great point guard, and he gets uh, just hammered on this last play of a game. They lose by one, and and it was a no call. And I'm thinking, I'm coming out of the seats. What kind of refereeing is that? You know, I'm just a kid in high school, but. I, 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 you know, even though in Illinois, I learned to gripe at officials like everybody here in, in uh, the Hoosier State, all right? I understand that really well. And for a period of time, it was a gift of mine to be able, until they put me in the game, all right? Then, ah, all right? And, and I remember Galen going down like that, and I'm, I'm seeing that, and here's Bible college ball, and, and uh, he gets up, a smile on his face, shook hands with a guy that just took the cheap shot at him, grinned, and I asked him afterwards, I said, Galen, what'd you say to him? He said, well, I told him... Uh, I guess you got away with one, huh? You know, God bless you, good game. I did not see that model for me any other place. But somehow God sent my sister before me to help me have other mentors of guys that I would meet that were a few years older, dedicated to whatever God's calling them to do. So I could say, I don't know what I want to be like, but I want to be something like those guys, something like that. When we were in Las Vegas, um, I, I remember I got a call from this place called Northside that I'd heard of, but I didn't know anybody here. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Nathan's a junior in, in high school, and, and they just said, would you be interested in coming to preach? I said, well, uh, we love that area. My wife's from that area, but we're kind of out here doing a thing. My son's a junior. My daughter's going back to Illinois. He's a freshman in college. And, and we just sat down with Nathan. And when this opportunity came about in July of 1998 and, and said, Nathan, what do you think? And he just looked at Sue Lynn and I and said, Dad, Mom, I'm a junior in high school. I don't want to go anywhere. You're right, bud. You're right. No, I don't think we can go. But hey, you may talk with this fella and his and then all of a sudden, true story, exactly the way it happened in, in November, just a few months later, he comes up after supper and just we're sitting at the table. Rachel's already gone off to, to college and, and he just says, uh, Mom, Dad, I just got to talk with you for a second. He said, you remember that church wanted us to come back here in southern Indiana a few months ago? Oh, yeah. He said, I think I might have been the reason we didn't go. He said, I don't want to be the reason we don't do what God's calling us to do. So somebody else calls, I'm okay. And look at us now. <laughs> God, was, he was, now he doesn't do that all the time, but he did that in our family's life. And we, if we had more time, I'd love to hear your story or hear more of mine. With Rachel here during the interview, I mean, right at Sam's Tavern before it burnt down, okay, over there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sitting with the Pope Committee and they're asking, firing questions away. And what about this? What have you done over there? This and that and in the interview to come here to, to preach. And, and all of a sudden they got into a dangerous area and said, what have you done for missions? 
Oh boy, I ain't got much there. I haven't been out of the country. Although we did go to San Diego, not far from uh, Vegas, and, and, and we walked to Tijuana by foot, literally, you know, and little, little things, uh, don't rent a car down there, and came back. But I didn't think that's, that's not going to impress them at all on any mission trip. I said, you know, really, I, I've got nothing on that. We've done a lot of things here and there, different colleges, different uh, poverty areas in, in parts of town, and, you know, nationally, but not been out of the country. And then I thought, I'm scrambling for something to say. But our kids have both, both been to Mexico five different times, you know, and, and I, let me push them out there. Maybe I'll get credit for them or something. And, and, and then I, I, I know where it came from because Rachel had said when she was 15, a sophomore in high school, she saw these videos of what happens in Romania and the abuse that goes on there. And I just told him, I said, our daughter, she, she thinks she's uh, supposed to go to Romania someday. I don't know if she ever will. I said, we keep telling her we're five, you know, five or six hours from Tijuana. Go to Mexico. Don't worry about that. Que pasa? We'll be fine, you know. Don't think about anything in Europe. And their jaws dropped. And one of the fellows literally said, we just, we just made friends with an orphanage over in Romania this last year. We got a trip coming up in August. Who knows? And here we are, where our daughter's been over there for 15 years and has gone every summer until she went to live there since 1999. God was going before us with something we had no idea and would not possibly have chosen, all right? But that's what God does sometimes. He, he goes before you and me, and he says, you know what? I'm going to carve a path. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to work ahead of you. How has he gone before you? How has he sustained you? How has he worked for good in your life? I love the story of Joseph where, where uh, in Genesis 50, uh, he's telling his brothers because their dads died and they, they all think Joseph is going to kill him now because they tried to kill him. And he literally says, what you did to me years ago, you intended for harm. And he smiles and says, but God used it for good. You see, God saved 70 Israelites to Egypt where there was food in the famine. 400 years later, he had to save his people from Egypt and raise up Moses to do that. He's always working for good. How's he working things in your life? And can you take a moment before the year ends and jot that down? And how's he helping you become more like his son? Through his word, through his spirit, through his people, you may feel stuck in one way or another right now. Trust me, the more you allow his word to be poured into your mind and heart, the more you allow to, yourself to become dependent on the movement of his spirit in your heart and life, the more you interact with his people in positive, healthy ways, he's going to help you become more like him. Gary Thomas has a great book called Sacred Marriage. In that he says, what if God didn't give us marriage to make us happy? What if he gave us marriage to make us better? Mm, hadn't thought about that. You know? uh, show of guys' hands, let's don't even raise them on that one, okay? But you know, as I think about that in all, all honesty, who am I apart from my wife, Sue Lynn? 
at the risk of sounding very codependent, I don't have a clue. I don't know who I would be, but I'll tell you, whatever I would be, it wouldn't be pretty (laughs) if God wouldn't have used her and her pure heart and integrity in my heart and life to straighten me up a little bit. Can we get a husky amen on that? Okay. And a couple of petite ones out there too, all right. That's right. God gives us marriage to help us become better, I think. Colossians 1.27. To them God's chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are the hope of glory. The thrill of hope will always remain with Jesus. But he says, now, with me in you, my spirit in your life, you now will be the hope of glory to other people so that they might know me. We've got to go beyond just that simple thrill. He will be with you. He'll transform you. And he will use you for his glory. Now, right now is our time of communion. And I want to ask you, as we share together in a little bit different way. Uh, t- today is going to be a little bit different. In a, in a moment after I pray, uh, we're going to have the folks that will come, the ushers will pass communion. And I want to ask you to take the bread and go right ahead and partake of that then. But I want to ask you also just to hold the cup. And we'll, we'll share in that at the end of the, of the time together. And as always, as I tell you, and I particularly tell the 1130, I'll let you know when we're done, okay? Don't, don't get done ahead of me. But to have the imagery of the love of God and Jesus laying down his life and pulling his friends together and sharing the bread and the cup when he simply broke the bread and took it And he said to each of them, you go ahead and take and eat. He said, remember, this is my body that's given for you. And the cup, that's the blood of the new covenant that I share just for you. Let's bow together now. Father, we ask your blessing on our time of communion, our time of closeness, our time of remembering. And I would just ask you, God, to Help us to examine our heart, to look where we are. Not so much where we've been the whole year or decade, but where we are right now, this last weekend here. We come together to offer our hearts to you of such gratitude for the love you showed to us through your son. May we remember him now. We pray in his name.
there's a song that a lot of times is sung this time of year. Just want to ask you to just kind of hum along. Don't use the words. Just get the melody, and then we'll put a hymn with it. All right. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. Oh Lord, was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. You'll never be able to sing that song the same way again, will you? Now before we sing this next verse, this one talks about the grace. Turn to your neighbor just gently, just gently. Let them know about the grace that God gave to you and let, let them know either it was pretty an easy thing to know about God or you were a slow train coming, or they had to send out a search party, okay? Just lean and share that with your neighbor. taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed the hour I first believed oh Lord the hour I first Believed how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Now this last verse, all about heaven. Ten thousand years just just starting out off. Turn to your neighbor. Let them know why you're looking forward to heaven and cannot wait. Shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. Let's hear you now. Then when 
we first begun. Oh Lord, and when we first begun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. We'll take this cup of kindness yet, oh Lord, may we be one. To him who sits on the throne, be power and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen to him. The Bible says after Jesus and his disciples had shared in the Passover the Last Supper, they sang a hymn, just like we did. And then they went out to the Mount of Olives, to Gethsemane, to the betrayal, the arrest, and led to the crucifixion, which led to Jesus changing the world. I love that song, I love that song. If we're gonna let God change the world, it's going to be because you and I realize Christ in us is the hope of glory. He's the only hope we have. But will we share that hope with other people and let him change us and change them? I'm up for that in 2020. How about you? Amen. God bless you. See you next year.